Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Are you back there, Blair, doing your yeah. thing? Can I sit on your shoulder? Or is that going to bother yeah, you? No, it's totally fine. Oh, get out. Please get out. Get out. Oh, that's so brutal. <laughs> this is Blair Montgomery. I flew to Chicago to visit him back in June, and I promise you that he wanted me to visit. He wasn't yelling at me to get out. He was yelling at a baseball a baseball hit by a player with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Blair had a $250 parlay on the game. That's one large bet made up of a string of smaller bets. I have a baseball parlay where it was like I picked a guy to hit a home run and the team to win for three separate games. And uh, I hit the first two. I need the Dodgers to win and I need one of their players to hit a home run. So this go, I just wanted to go to extra innings. And <laughs> if this game goes to extra innings, we may be paying quite a bit of attention to this one. <laughs> How much will this pay for you if everything works out? If, if, if Freddie Freeman, right? So Freddie Freeman right here, he's bat second for the Dodgers. He's their first baseman. He hit a ball to the fence earlier, and a guy jumped up and caught it right at the wall. And if he hits a home run and the Dodgers win, it pays out like almost 60 grand. Actually, I think it's like 63 grand. So it's obviously a very, very, very profitable and big parlay. Welcome to Crash Course a podcast about business, political, and social disruption, and what we can learn from it. I'm Tim O'Brien. If it hasn't already, sports gambling is coming to your town, your living room, and your kid's cell phone. Last year, Americans bet about $450 million on sports every day. That's one of those numbers I don't even know how to comprehend. It's so huge. That translates to $165 billion a year. But of course, Gamblers lose a lot of that money. That's how the industry pulled in $44 billion last year. And it looks like betting is going to keep on exploding. I've been watching the gambling industry for years, but the current boom is like no other. It's going to reshape games, fans, and society. And its impact has only begun to be felt. And because some gamblers become addicts, it can be a wildly destructive activity. It can also lead to corruption in sports. In honor of the Super Bowl this weekend and the vast number of bets that will be placed on the game, this is the first of three episodes about the past, present, and future of the multi-billion dollar sports betting boom. Over the next three episodes, we'll travel from Chicago to London to the tribal lands of Connecticut to explore all of this, looking at mobile betting, match fixing, and the future of tribal casinos. But first things first, today's crash course inside the digital sports betting boom. To better understand that boom, I wanted to spend time with somebody who's really good at navigating all of the ups and downs of gambling. Blair is one of the industry's super users. He gambles every day, every weekend, and he's making more money betting than he does from his day job. He's also a window onto the peculiar set of talents that make successful gamblers interesting to me. Unlike most people who bet, he's actually able to make a handsome living off of it. 
He's obsessive, but to my untrained eye, not an addict. He's emotionally disciplined. He manages money well. He's good at math. He's intuitive. And he knows how to judge risk. Anyone can hit those bets one time. It doesn't take someone who's a sharp sports better or someone who knows sports extremely well to hit that bet one time. But to be able to do that repetitively over time or to even come close to hitting those things over time, I think you got to be a little nuts and a little crazy. And that's kind of how I am. Like Meaning being entirely risk forward, uh, yes. being comfortable with massive risks. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you have to put the work in. And if you don't and you lose your edge on that, you're not showing up and being really active with it. I think it's going to come back to bite you and you're going to start losing and it's going to hurt a lot. It was a great weekend to go to Chicago to watch Blair Gamble. The French Open crowned its winners. Game two of the NBA Finals tied up the series, and the baseball season was in full swing. I was excited to meet Blair and watch him in action. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. Me too. As I told you, a lot of our a lot of our interaction is going to be me putting this mic close to your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't confuse Blair with that image you might have in your mind of a worn-out old gambler lurking in a casino. He looks like a jock, athletic and trim, with close-cropped auburn hair. He's energetic and friendly, very Midwestern. I was introduced to Blair by some sports gamblers I know who hang out together online. I heard he was really good at this whole sports betting thing, and he was even considering turning the side hustle into a full-time job. I found Blair a fascinating person to focus on because he's an unknown who's already started making a big splash. And I think he's the embodiment of all of the highs and lows to be found in the gambling boom. I've always had like a really good, just general read on sporting events. And um, like my mom always joked and she was like, you're gonna work for ESPN someday. And when I didn't go that route in college, she was a little disappointed, but it didn't really change much in terms of who I was or what people knew me about, they just didn't know that I could turn 100 bucks into, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars And you could days. make tens of thousands of right. dollars off of it in a sitting. Like I said, Blair is very good at this. Here's how he got here. When he was around 10 or 11, he started playing poker with his buddies in a small town in Michigan. He was a good student and a good athlete, competitive, and he routinely demolished his poker partners. His tournaments with friends grew through high school to 30, 40 kids in somebody's basement. In college, he started going to real casinos. He spent whole days playing tournaments. I think it's extremely fair to say that when I was younger, particularly when I was playing poker, that you know, going on tilt is a very common term in poker, and I had an extremely hard time balancing that. A lot of people do, you know? And so there were times where I was playing with money that I shouldn't have, and there were times where I lost money that I couldn't afford to lose. Around the time he turned 21, a poker friend of his suggested he get into sports betting. So he started to dabble in that, too. Poker would soon take a back seat, because in 2018, the Supreme Court ended Nevada's monopoly on sports betting by striking down a federal law that had effectively banned it in most other states. Pretty quickly, states started legalizing something that had once been considered taboo. Indiana was the closest state to Blair to legalize it in the fall of 2019. But it was still old school. You had to go to a casino and wager in person. 
So Blair had to get up early in the morning in Chicago to drive an hour or so to Indiana, push his money through a window to a bookie, and then drive home to watch the games. Betting became more popular, and the lines at the casinos grew longer. It was like going to like an amusement park, you know, where you wait in line for two hours for a ride. This all had to be done before the games could start. If you wanted to bet during the game, you could try your luck at a digital kiosk. But the problem was the betting lines, or the odds, were changing by the second, and the machine couldn't keep up. So you would submit, and then it would think, and then it would be like, do you accept the odds change? And you'd be like, yes, and you hit it again. And they'd be like, do you accept the odds change? And you're like, this is just ridiculous. Like, I am never going to get this in. So then you just remove it. But nobody would have to wait once gambling went digital. Apps operated a lot faster than electronic kiosks. The rise of sports betting apps like FanDuel and DraftKings made it easier to monitor odds and place bets from the comfort of your own home. Blair's trips to Indiana effectively ended when Illinois legalized online betting in 2020. His living room became his new gambling den. It's a bright, airy space with a view of the Chicago skyline and decorated with a comfy, L-shaped couch and a big flat-panel TV. Decidedly not a casino vibe. It's completely different than the brick-and-mortar experience. It's still fun having, like, the actual paper slip that you keep. And when you win, when you go in and you turn it in, it's a really cool feeling. But how technology has changed, the way that you can just do this on your phone, is what's made this boom so insane over the last, you know, couple of years. COVID lockdowns caused a huge spike in online gambling across the country. From hundreds of millions of dollars in wagers a month to several billion. But it wasn't until the fall of 2021 that Blair's own sports gambling career really took off. And it all started at a friend's wedding. Before Blair drove to that wedding, he had lined up five or six different parlays for NFL games that day, laying down a total of about $1,000 in bets. Remember, a parlay is basically one wager made up of a bunch of smaller, different bets. How many field goals are kicked? Added to the number of touchdowns. Added to the total score. And so on and so on. Each one of those bets needs to win for the entire bet to pay off. Because they're so risky, the odds are astronomically bad. But if all of the smaller legs of the bet are winners, gamblers can get a massive payout. During the wedding, Blair's most promising parlay was shaping up nicely. But by the time the bride and groom had said, I do, and he sat down at the reception, he was a nervous wreck. Rather than celebrating, his eyes were glued to his phone. If I have a bet, particularly parlays that have legs, I have got to be monitoring it and following it, particularly because you're going to get live cash out offers. And if you think something is potentially going to slip, you need to jump on it and get out. His friends got sucked in and started watching the game with him. While the father of the bride is giving his speech, the Dolphins converted two fourth downs Basically, they went 90 yards in, like, 60 seconds, and they converted a fourth and 25 to extend the game. All of that helped his bet. Blair was ecstatic. His wife, Sarah, well, less so. If we're being fully transparent, I was kind of getting not upset with him, but I was like, you oh, guys you are... So oh, well, I was annoyed because I was like, you guys are being rude. Like, <laughs> you need to listen to the speech. But then, as it turns out, like... You know, nobody even noticed, but I was just next to all of them. And I'm like, we were right back in college. <laughs> I'm on Team Sarah here. 
all of these goofs were staring at a cell phone during a wedding reception. But then I found out how much money was involved. By the end of the speeches, Blair's parlay had won, and he had guaranteed his biggest win yet, $45,000. It's hard to describe because it's literally the best, it's the best feeling in the world. And as you start to realize, like, oh my God, this has incredible potential. It gives you goosebumps, you know? And then when you're down to one game, you're just sitting there sweating it out and everyone's riding with you and everything. And so it just, it's the best feeling in the world. Like it's, I mean, I, again, I- Better than everything else, better than sex? <laughs> um, um, I probably can't answer that one uh, how I want to because Sarah will probably get a little mad, but hitting a parlay is the best feeling. It's, it's incredible. After that high at the wedding, Blair kept at it. In the next couple weeks, Blair hit not one, but two other massive parlays for a total payoff of $133,000. Other gamblers started paying attention. My following went from 800 people on Twitter to like 10, 12,000 in, in just a span of a couple of weeks. And then, you know, because I, of those three successful yeah, parlays. Then everyone was like, whoa, okay, didn't know that you actually were good at this. And you hit one and people are like, oh, that's cool. You hit two and people are like, oh, okay. And then you hit three in a row and everyone is kind of losing their minds. And they're like, this kid could be from the future. Blair's Twitter account, at Monty Parlay, now has about 35,000 followers. And Blair's built a real community there. In case you didn't know it, gambling Twitter is a thing. Lots of people congregate there looking for hot tips. Blair tweets out his bets and his analysis so followers can decide whether or not to piggyback with their own bets. He complains about his losses, and he celebrates his major wins. He really engages with his followers. He also has a Discord group. That's an online chat room where people pay $20 a month to talk about their bets and get advice from him. He takes that responsibility very seriously. If people are going to have faith in me and follow me, like I take it to heart and take it serious. I'm trying to please a lot of people and I'm trying to help them make some money. You know, I've had people that have DM me on Twitter after a parlay hits and they're like, you just paid for my daughter's dance recitals for the next year. Like I can't even put into words. I can't believe, I don't even know how I found you on Twitter. And I'm like, that's amazing. You know, like it's the best feeling in the world. But when they lose and people are frustrated, you deal with that side of it, too, and it's hard. It's hard, because even though Blair is really good at this and has earned his following through some big wins, it's a risky business. I'm definitely a big parlay guy, and I'm not from the future, so, like, I lose all the time. Like, anyone who bets parlays loses all the time, but if your win rate on a 12-leg parlay is 0.25%, and you can hit that 2-3% of the time you're going to be massively profitable. So it's just a matter of bankroll management and not getting too crazy. He's never lost more than $2,500 on a bet. But he told me about one time when he missed a parlay by one leg that could have netted him upwards of $220,000. I cried a little bit that night because that would have been ridiculous, right? I mean, truly just insane. And another time when he missed out on close to 80 grand. I was like, oh my. I could feel like I wanted to throw up. But each loss for Blair is a learning opportunity. I try to always, the day after, look back at the ones that lost and take in some, whatever information I can kind of soak in, what happened. And that's how I know that Blair is really a pro at sports gambling. 
He's not blindly putting money on games or props. He does his research, and he has a strategy. He listens to the commentary during the games to learn as much as he can. He tracks stats and historical data online. He really thinks this through. He showed me one of the websites he uses to sort through all of the data when he's thinking about his bets. The site's called Props.Cash. It was founded only a year ago by, of all people, an aspiring elementary school math teacher. He wanted to use sports data to make math more fun and accessible for students. He quickly learned he could make more money selling it as a service for gamblers. You have to remember, deep, real-time analytics like this weren't available to most gamblers for the entire history of sports betting. Now, guys like Blair can operate like hardcore statisticians. The screen in front of Blair is a sea of fever charts, bar graphs, league team and player names, all awash in lots and lots of data. All this data is publicly available, but to be able to slice and dice it this way that quickly is what makes this super helpful. You don't need a super analytical mind to be able to like look at this and formulate a point of view. And so I think it's helped a lot of like your average sports bettors. To just sharpen your sort of statistical sensibility about where the value lies. He's also pretty fearless. He's not afraid to go with gut instincts, even if that means backing an underdog. One of his big parlay wins last year included an NFL bet that the notoriously bad Jets would beat the pretty good Titans. His followers really questioned that one. Realistically, any given night, anyone can win. And that is 1,000% true. These guys are professionals, and they're all good. No matter who's on your fantasy team and who didn't throw for 300 yards or get you a touchdown that week, and you're like, this guy sucks, I'm never, I'm never taking this guy again. That guy is elite, and he is in the 1% of the 1% in what he does in the entire world. And so if you don't think the Jets can beat the, the, the Titans, I promise you they can. And those games do happen. That strategy is paying off. If I can come closer to winning more than I throw up air balls, then I'm going to make money off of this or at minimum break even. And again, just keep kind of treading water until I get close to hitting a huge parlay. Because that's kind of my goal with this is just, just do okay, small wins here and there. Don't do anything too crazy and then put yourself in a spot where you could win 40, 50, 60,000. What did you net in 2021? Last year, overall, it was close, close to it was close to two hundred thousand. I think it was like one hundred and eighty, hundred ninety thousand. So I mean, it was an incredible year. And that was that your best year ever? Oh, absolutely, yeah. He says his gambling winnings last year earned him about as much as his day job. He's a regional manager at Salesforce. Blair says he loves his job, but he also logs off right at five and switches to his side hustle, a side hustle that's quickly approaching full time status. Now it feels like a second job, you know? It really does. I'm definitely doing this at minimum, at minimum 30 hours a week, if not 40 every single week. And it, it never ends. There's sports on every single day. He also has a life outside of his two gigs. His wife, Sarah, is really supportive of his side hustle. She talks about his work and his skill like he's an entrepreneur, and he basically is. She's clearly proud of him, and she supports him, and she trusts that he's not going to make any decisions that could hurt their family. And yet, all of the gambling takes away from their time together. He 
He's very focused, I would say. That's the best way to describe it. Very locked in, kind of in his own element. And then he'll come out like 30 minutes later. He's like, all right, sorry, what did you ask me? <laughs> like, I was a little preoccupied. Um, I should know better now, by now. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's pretty locked in today. Well, at the most, just a few more basketball games. And yes. then you're free. I'm looking forward to having my husband back. But there's always another sport to distract Blair. And he and Sarah had a major change soon after my trip. Their son, Tommy, was born in August. When I visited them in June, Sarah was trying to figure out how they would juggle work, gambling, and a new baby. I think it's something that we're still going to have to navigate just because it is so new, especially when the baby comes. Like, right now, it's just me that he has to worry about, and especially during, like, peak NBA season when there's, like, 15 games on. It's very time-consuming for him to be monitoring all of those all night, and honestly, we don't spend that much time together on those nights. Sarah and Blair have been together for 10 years and have been through some ups and downs. They clearly trust one another, so much so that Sarah is considering using her marketing chops to help Blair build a bigger gambling brand for himself. There are downsides to having a bigger brand, though. Blair says wagering takes a physical toll, and what began as a hobby morphs at times into an obsession. It can leave him little time for anything else. Relationships with his friends and family are affected. Research and betting intrude on vacation time. It's even changed how he watches games. He very rarely just tunes in for fun anymore because he always has money on the line, which exerts its own sort of pull. So here's the thing. Every sporting event that I can watch is an opportunity to take in information and learn. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to bet on this, but I'll watch. Then all of a sudden I'm scrolling on Twitter or Instagram and I'm not paying attention. But if I bet on it, I'm going to pay attention to it, you know? So to be honest, that's why I like doing it. Even if it's something just nothing crazy, if I just bet on one of the teams to win or cover the spread or whatever, it just it helps me treat it like work where I'm trying to get better at like a craft than just sitting here and watching a sporting event. And like he said, Nothing beats the rush of gambling. In terms of like my own life, my own like well-being, doing anything that involves like risk gets my blood flowing and gets me excited and I feel fulfilled and alive and it's a great feeling. So that explains why Blair signed up for FanDuel and DraftKings, the two titans in the field of sports betting apps, as soon as digital gambling became legal in Illinois. He prefers FanDuel. Their user interface is significantly better. It's cleaner. It's easier to manage. And it's owned by one of the world's biggest gambling companies, one that has brought all of the insights and tools of a consumer product's juggernaut to digital sports wagering. It towers over the industry like the Wizard of Oz, and most gamblers don't understand who's spinning all of the wheels behind the curtain. I was familiar with it, but I didn't know how much of a role they had played in all this. After the break, I'll take a closer look at that company and talk to some of the people playing a role in making those gambling apps almost addictingly fun. Then, later, I'll sit with Blair to watch him in action and do some gambling of my own.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So that company we were talking about before the break, its name is Flutter Entertainment. It's one of the world's biggest gambling operations. While gamblers like Blair were dreaming of $60,000 paydays, Flutter, which owns FanDuel and other big brands, hauled in $7.6 billion in revenue in 2021. As the old saying goes in the casino business, the house always wins. And Flutter cashed in when the sports betting landscape shifted in the U.S. back in 2018. It was the 14th of May, and one day it'll be a company holiday. (laughs) May 14th, 2018. The day the Supreme Court opened gambling's floodgates by allowing individual states to legalize sports betting if they wanted. And that was Peter Jackson, Flutter CEO. The origins of Flutter, it's slang in the UK for having a bet. Having a Flutter, says Peter, is an ancient indulgence. Gambling is something that people have done for a very, very long time. Actually, not just around sports, people bet on dice. And you look at the history of gambling, and it's a very very well-established thing. And and there are psychological reasons why people enjoy taking that risk. Flutter is a collection of gambling companies in Ireland and the UK that includes old-fashioned bookmakers and newer digital ventures. It has a big footprint in Europe and around the globe. Its reach expanded in 2018 when it bought FanDuel, that app that gamblers like Blair love to use. It's a US company that originally made a big splash in fantasy sports leagues. Flutter's timing was good. It broke into the U.S. right before that Supreme Court ruling was announced. Peter had just become CEO, armed with an engineering degree from Cambridge and a blue-chip pedigree in banking and consulting. That sort of makes him the perfect leader for a modern gambling company, less a bookmaker and more of a consumer products champion, adept at reeling in digital customers. What was really clear to me was that the economics in a digital betting environment, we're going to be no different to any other digital business. And we know that if you pick any category, the economics flow disproportionately to the scale player. A very big part of what I thought we need to do at that time was to build scale. More than 7.5 million people visit Flutter's various gambling platforms every month. Its stock price soared more than 30% between 2019 and 2021. And it competes with DraftKings for all of the advertising space you see chewed up on your TV screens and in bus, subway, and train stations. It's partnered with sports leagues and traditional media companies, as the boundaries that once separated those businesses have dissolved. Amy Howe, who runs FanDuel for Flutter, says she's offering her customers more than just gambling. At the end of the day, we actually view what we do as we're an entertainment platform. And so there really are quite a few commonalities as you think about what we built and what we deliver every day to consumers and what we're trying to do here at FanDuel as well. Like Peter, Amy isn't a gambling veteran. She was a senior executive at Ticketmaster, the entertainment company, before coming to FanDuel. One of the critical things for me is how do I acquire as many customers as I can as efficiently as possible, right? So 
we have built, I would say, by far the most efficient marketing acquisition engine in the industry. And that's really one of the things that's been a huge driver of our success so far. Another of Flutter's advantages? It learned the sports gambling ropes in Ireland and the U.K. long before the U.S. betting boom took off. And how all of that rolled out in the U.K. has lessons for the U.S. I tracked down Rob Davis to talk a little bit about that. He's a business reporter for The Guardian and the author of a new book, Jackpot, How Gambling Conquered Britain. He's watched the U.K. gambling boom from a front row seat, and he was able to walk through exactly how gambling took over his country. The boom there started when professional, Premier League soccer began appearing on everybody's TV. I think at last counted, something like a billion people watched the Premier League. So there is really no advertising platform like it. And so it's no surprise that over time, gambling companies become very interested in that. And then that essentially gets put on steroids with the arrival of the internet and then the second leg mobile devices, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, is a no- there are a number of things all going on at once, a kind of confluence of events that creates a sort of a perfect breeding ground for gambling to thrive and for football to thrive on it as well, because there's a lot of money that goes into football from gambling. Gambling is an unusual business. Much of it is just pure entertainment for most people. But because it taps so directly into primal urges around greed and risk, it can also be a powder keg. Compulsive gambling is one of its most overt problems. The British government was alarmed by all of that. So it gathered politicians, gambling operators, even religious organizations, to figure out a response. The 2005 Gambling Act was born. It offered a regulatory structure in the UK that was meant to last for decades. They were thinking, well, this is a leisure pursuit. People want to do it. We shouldn't be a nanny state. We shouldn't try and intervene and and stop them doing it. And in fact, we can raise huge amounts of tax revenue and create jobs. And, you know, there's some logic in that. But they draft the Gambling Act in 2005. It comes into force in 2007. And the thing that happens in the middle of those two things is the invention of the iPhone. The Gambling Act was built for a brick-and-mortar world. But mobile devices didn't need buildings. Like everyone else, including me, British politicians didn't fully understand the implications of the technology revolution. Within a year, everyone was going to have access to a casino in their pocket. And one of the things that I've found a lot when I've talked to people who do struggle with their gambling is that it helps them if there's some degree of friction between the urge to gamble and the ability to actually do it. Less friction, more gambling. More gambling, more fun. And more money. But the Brits had also learned that sports gambling was so explosive and ubiquitous that their regulations turned out to be backward-looking. So far, the U.S. hasn't appeared to have learned any of those lessons. And states are legalizing gambling at a rapid clip. Annual revenues from online sports betting are currently about a billion dollars. Goldman Sachs estimates that that figure will soar to about $39 billion by 2033, far more than what people spend on other forms of entertainment, such as movies and booze. All that action could also lead to more blow-ups. You could be in bed at night at 3 a.m. with your partner asleep beside you, and you're losing the mortgage. You're losing the child's university fund. And, you know, I've spoken to lots of people who've done that. That's not scaremongering. I mean, that's what goes on. I've looked at research indicating that only about 2% of the gambling population winds up with an addiction. Most people do gamble for fun. But all those studies largely rely on data that predates the more recent gambling boom. I imagine that number might soar now that everyone can have a casino in their pocket. 
That also got me thinking, could Blair be a self-destructive, compulsive gambler? I'm not an expert, but I don't think so. He's learned the hard way what he has to watch out for. Back when he was big into poker, he found himself betting money he didn't have. Now, he makes it a point to talk openly about his losses. He says that keeps him from glamorizing gambling. You need to be humbled, and you need to be brought back down to earth, and you need to know that, like, hey, you can't dodge bullets, but I don't mind going through those downswings because it just helps me put things into perspective. Do you think gamblers have a different relationship to money than other people? Yeah. I mean, I think with the way that gamblers do this, there's a, an obsession to money and to, for whatever reason, you know. Well, but what's the root of it, do you think? I don't know if, I think it depends on the person. Like, for me, the root of my passion with all this, it's not greed. Blair was still in high school when the recession hit in 2008. Both of his parents were real estate agents in Detroit, and they lost their house. They moved down to Florida, but Blair stayed in Michigan to finish out high school. Then he went to Michigan State. He worked his way through college, maxed out student loans, and he had to pay for his senior year using credit cards. I've seen how money can unfortunately hurt a family, right? And it doesn't solve all problems, but avoiding financial problems can create an environment to have a healthy family and a good marriage and everything. It's not everything, but being able to avoid that stuff is where it comes from with me. It's like Basic I, security. Yeah, 100%. You know, 100%. I want to be able to invest and make good money and do fun things and help my kids get through college and start their lives because I learned everything that I learned the hard way. So he's careful. He keeps his gambling money in a different account and doesn't touch the savings he shares with Sarah. While the titans of mobile gambling don't offer money management tutorials to gamblers, they say they're trying to monitor their customers for signs of problem gambling. Here's FanDuel CEO Amy Howe again. I have a compliance team of well over 100 people that's focused on everything from risky play to, to anti-money laundering. I've got clear metrics and targets, so my entire organization is incented based on making sure that we're not just developing the products to be able to let consumers manage within appropriate limits, but that we're really driving those numbers. Flutter CEO Peter Jackson sums that up simply. We want to make sure that our customers can have some fun, but actually when the fun stops, we want them to stop betting. And Peter says he takes responsibility for the fact that it's not all on the gambler to stop betting. The onus isn't on the customers. A lot of it's on us. We can see how much time someone's spending on our site. We can see their patterns of play. If someone's been depositing $100 a month and suddenly they put $500 in and suddenly they put $2,000 in, we need to be on red alert. And actually, it doesn't matter how much money people have. If people are spending a huge amount of time on our site and they haven't in the past, that's also something we need to be really thoughtful about as well. So there's lots of signals and signs that we look for in terms of our customers on our platform where we'll then reach out and engage and talk to our customers to check they're okay. I want to take Amy and Peter's responses here at face value, but there's a long history of companies peddling vice who claim to be concerned about the impact of what they sell and then can't really knuckle down and change their behavior. The tobacco industry comes to mind. 
I also wonder how much of their valuable corporate resources they really want to spend looking after wayward gamblers. FanDuel's website does offer nifty tools for setting limits on wagers, but the onus certainly is on the customer to take advantage of them. Gamblers themselves are required to set the limits. FanDuel stays out of the way. After I signed up as a FanDuel newbie for this story, the company flooded my inbox, encouraging me to do anything but set limits on my gambling. I was offered lots of exclusives and free bets. I may not be the sharpest gambler in the world, but I also know there's no such thing as a free bet. And I'm just a gambling voyeur. For others more attached to their betting, FanDuel, DraftKings, and other companies' persistent messaging might encourage something that becomes much more life-shattering. Fortunately, my new friend Blair is not in that category. I sincerely hope he stays in the safe zone and continues to have fun and make some good money on the side. Because it really is fun to watch him in action. After the break, Blair and I will crack open some beers, dig into some pretzels and cheese dip, and overanalyze some games, all in the hopes of making a little bit of money. We'll be right back. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's go back to that Dodgers-Mets game Blair was betting on at the beginning of this episode. Get through. Oh, let's go. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. All right. Now, this baseball game is very important to me. Here's the bet Blair made. For $250, he chose the winner of three baseball games that day and one player who would hit a home run in each one of them. By the third game, his bet is still alive. He just needs one more player to hit a homer. But it's never that easy. By the end of the ninth inning, his guy, a Dodger named Freddie Freeman, still hasn't delivered the goods. Then the game goes into extra innings. Blair's hopes are kept alive. As a better, I could not be asking for a better situation right now. It's a extreme long shot that he hits a home run to win the game, you know, in the bottom of the 10th. But I have a chance, which again, is all I'm asking for. So now Freddie Freeman is up. It's Mets are beating, leading the Dodgers five to four. And Blair would love for Freddie Freeman to hit a, a walk-off home run. A walk-off home run that would be worth $60,000, $63,000 to Blair. Oh, of course. He swings at the first pitch. That's disappointing. And grounds out. Yeah. Well, it's not by any means over, um, but it would realistically probably have to go two more innings for him to get another at bat. I'm pro- honestly pretty surprised he swung at the first pitch. Ever the optimist, Blair's saying it's not over till it's over. And even when it is over, he's hedged enough that he still has a chance to make money off the game. Wow, game. he struck him out. Game's over. And Blair made 3500 bucks. Yeah, so I'm not upset about it. I'm not upset about it by any means. I'll take that all day long. But he sounds pretty dejected. And he's thinking aloud about what might have been. I had a chance for my guy to do what I needed him to do, to literally end the game and win my bet in the bottom of the 10th inning. So it's, again, those are good scenarios. 
That means I had a relative long odds, right? Long odds, but a good scenario. And you have to find yourself. Like I almost picked this guy, Trey Turner, to hit a home run today, and he did. I ended up going with Freeman because the starting pitcher for the Mets was statistically worse against lefties than he is against righties. So I went with Freeman over Turner, and of course Turner was the one that hit a home, hit a home run the first inning too. So unfortunately, just picked the wrong guy. Even if he's disappointed. Blair takes comfort in the fact that he's in it for the long haul. My theory a lot of the time is just live to fight another day. Because <laughs> you cannot beat sports betting. There's always going to be another game, another match, whatever. It's always going to be there. And what you're trying to do ultimately is just, is to just keep making money and keep profiting off of this stuff. And you got to understand that you're going to get to the last leg of parlays a decent amount of time, and that's going to be the one that you are wrong on. And it sucks. So if you take your win, you take your cash out, you hedge, you move on, there's nothing wrong with that. You just keep building your bankroll, pay off a bill, go on a vacation, you know, something like that, go out to dinner with your, your spouse, your significant other. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But that's hard, especially because so much of gambling is a solitary pursuit. Sarah says she wishes she could help Blair with some of his research so they can work on this together. But Blair really needs to keep it all in his own head. His friends are supportive and try to bet with him, but they also don't really get it. I'll do it with my friends, and my friends will participate, but they'll mostly just take whatever it is that I did and then put significantly less money on it. And then when the game's going on, they might not even be paying attention in the sense that I am. I might be watching a guy miss a three-pointer in the first quarter and be, like, furious. And they're like, what's the big deal? It's the first quarter. I'm like, because he's only going to shoot two more. I need him to make two. And now he's got to go 100%. And they're like, what? That's what prop betting specifically will do to you. You will pay attention to the dumbest and the tiniest little details that will impact your bet at some point throughout the game. And it will change the way that you feel about certain players because they'll miss a layup or they'll drop a pass in the end zone or something. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) what is wrong with you? You know, but in reality, like they're humans, they're going to make mistakes, but it's hard not to get frustrated when stuff like that happens. I laughed to myself as Blair told me this, but I wouldn't truly understand until later when I had my own bet on the line. You see, I had the FanDuel app open for most of the weekend, watching the lines along with Blair. And FanDuel kept nudging me. I just got a reality check from my FanDuel app saying, we're glad you're enjoying FanDuel Sportsbook. Just so you know, you've been playing for 33 minutes. You have wagered $0 since you logged in. Okay, so I do get the feeling that the app is getting mad at me. Isn't this the company that was telling me they wanted to make sure I went about this nice and easy? Well, they sure made it easy for me. Since it was my first prop bet, they gave me $25 to wager. So during the Warriors-Celtics playoff game, I put it on one of their promotions, what they call a boost bet. I bet that Steph Curry and Jason Tatum would each score over 30 points during the game. At first, I was really proud of myself. I thought I would nail it. You're in pretty good shape on that boost bet. You're in really good shape. Yeah, I think he's at 20 now. Yeah. And uh, Tatum's got 21. Yeah. So they, I mean, in a close game, Steph Curry needs 10 points and Jason Tatum needs nine. Uh, You're in a a good spot. Steph Curry just scored again. Good job, Steph. See, I've now got a different relationship to this game. You do, yeah. (laughs) 
now you pay attention to it differently. You can feel it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Whereas, like, in a normal game, you'd be like, oh, Warriors are up 12. You know? Yeah. This is great. Curry missed the layup, so Who what? Who cares? Right. Yeah. Then, all of a sudden, the game turned into a blowout. The Warriors began pounding the Celtics. Blair spotted that development right away, before I even knew what it meant. Blowouts is, is where all the parlays, where they all go to die. All parlays? Even my parlay? Yep. Although Steph Curry needed just one more point, and Jason Tatum needed just two for my bet to pay off, a blowout meant their coaches might take them off the court. What? I wouldn't be surprised if Tatum, if this gets to like 25, 26 points, that he won't come back in. And then you're like, wow, he needed three points for a quarter and a half and he couldn't get it. And he just missed a free throw which is unusual. Which is making me mad at him. It should, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's very frustrating. At this point, it wasn't hard for our minds to go cynical, and we started questioning FanDuel's motives in offering this particular boost. Did they know it was going to be a blowout? Because this sort of thing with the boost happens all the time. All the time. We're like... You're right there, and all of a sudden, something weird happens, and then it just doesn't finish. Right. Wow, really? So it's common for boosts not to pay, like, right at the edge? Yeah. It's common for them not to hit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get it it's common for them not to hit, because presumably they wouldn't be yeah, offered that much. getting really close. But the thing is that they come right up to the edge of it. They get close, and then they don't hit. We weren't the only ones moaning about how close we got. The next day, Pat McAfee brought up that exact same parlay on his popular gambling show. McAfee has developed such a close following that FanDuel reportedly pays him $30 million a year just to gab about gambling, and FanDuel representatives go on his show. The morning after I lost my parlay, he had FanDuel's top odds maker, John Sheeran, on to chat. Hey, let's just get right into it. Last night's boost. Yep. Tatum and Steph to both score 30. How many did Steph have after three quarters? 29 points. How many did Tatum have after three quarters? 28 points. How many minutes did they play in the fourth quarter? Combined zero. How'd you know? How? How'd you <laughs> know? Yes. John? We just have a direct line. Steph said it would be over after three quarters and you wouldn't see him again. It's and luckily, it. that's yeah, what happened. Some people. <laughs> well, I'm not saying FanDuel fixed that bet. I really don't think there's any chance that they bribe Tatum, Curry, or their coaches. That's why McAfee and Sharon could joke about it. No, but whenever you see something like that happen, I assume you guys are ecstatic. I, you would have to be whenever the fourth quarter starting and it's like, oh, neither of the guys are playing. Hmm. Oh, isn't that, oh, we perfectly put, this is the perfect boost right there at 30. Like, that's a dream for the book, right, for that to happen? It, honestly, it is, but, like, that's not the way that we try and think about it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. We're not sitting there looking to try and, you know, win all of these boosts. The boosts are offered, honestly, you know, with genuine good faith. We want people to have a good experience. We want to give them a bit of value. So FanDuel wasn't manipulating anything. All of us gamblers just had bad luck on that one. But it did get me thinking about the perils of match fixing and about a series of interviews I had done earlier in the spring. Next episode... We'll bring you that story, the rise of gambling and match-fixing. For now, I'm still stewing about the 150 bucks I missed out on. Blair, of course, was much more successful. Sure, he missed out on the $63,000 baseball parlay payout, but in our two days together, he netted close to $2,000. 
That's not bad for a weekend of watching sports. Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> it is. Tomorrow's another day, and there's hockey, and there's probably some random bottom-tier tennis matches, and I bet you there's 12 baseball games or something. So there's plenty of stuff that there's going to be action on, that's for sure. <laughs> Here at Crash Course, we believe that collisions can be messy, impressive, challenging, surprising, and always instructive. In today's Crash Course, I learned that we are in the very early stages of a huge boom that's transforming sports, media, and the way that people gamble. And that the only people who should be gambling lots of money, a lot of the time, are the ones who are actually good at it. What did you learn? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at the Bloomberg Opinion handle, at Opinion, or me, at Tim O'Brien, using the hashtag Bloomberg Crash Course. You can also subscribe to our show wherever you're listening right now and leave us a review. It helps more people find the show. This episode was produced by the indispensable Anna Mazarakis and me. Our supervising producer is Magnus Henriksen, and we had editing help from Katie Boyce, Jed Sandberg, Jeff Grocott, Mike Nietzsche, Samantha Story, and Christine Vanden Bylart. Blake Maples does our sound engineering, and our original theme song was composed by Luis Guerra. I'm Tim O'Brien, and this has been Crash Course. Check your feed for the next episode in our gambling series about match fixing. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.